Hello and welcome to Maverick Messages. My name is Jimena and I am a sophomore at Providence Baptist College. If you are ready to be inspired, take a listen. First Kings, First Kings chapter 13. First Kings 13. I'm trying to turn there, I forgot. I put my Bible marker right there. First Kings 13, how convenient is that? I read this passage the other day and it just kind of stood out in my mind and the Lord impressed upon my heart maybe to develop this passage into a thought that would apply to you all today. We have a long passage of scripture to read, verses 1 through 25. Um, follow along with me silently as I read aloud. It says, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. So this is recently after the kingdom of Israel had been split in two. Uh, Rehoboam, king of Judah, down in Jerusalem, and now uh, Jeroboam uh, is established an, uh, an altar in Bethel, uh, and he wanted to prevent the people from going from the northern part of Israel down to Jerusalem to worship, lest the kingdom get reunited and he lose his power. So he's here in Bethel burning incense. And this prophet, in verse number two, and he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus Saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. An incredible prophecy here, uh, prophesying somebody by name who wouldn't be born uh, for, I, mean, I forget the numbers on this, but probably a couple hundred years, if, if I, my memory serves me right. Uh, and so this is a prophecy about somebody who will be born a couple hundred years later and who would do this exact same thing. Very, very significant. Verse number three, and he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him again, and, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread nor drink water nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he had come, that he came to Bethel. Now there dwelt, at, uh, dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel works which he had spoken unto the king, them they also told to their father. And their father said unto them, Which way, or what way, went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his son, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me, and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. 
And he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drink water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, forasmuch as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place, of which the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he settled for him the ass to wit, for the prophet whom he had brought back, and when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by it. And behold, the men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Uh, a rather lengthy passage, but a you know very easy story to understand. I think a key phrase that popped out to me as I read this the other day uh, was the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. You can see that it happens in uh, verse number two, where or verse number one even, that uh, this prophet uh, was sent by God by the word of the Lord. Verse number two, he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord. Uh, and that's this common saying. And when uh, the king, Jeroboam, tried to get the man of God to stay back and eat some bread and get a reward, uh, he said, no, I can't because of the word of the Lord. This old prophet comes to him and says, hey, come over to my house. He says, I can't because of the word of the Lord. And this old prophet lies to him and says, well, the word of the Lord came to me too. And uh, tried to get him to come back. And it was the word of the Lord that ultimately came to the old prophet and declared judgment on this younger prophet. And so the message I want to bring today is this. When God speaks, when God speaks, no one else matters. When God speaks, no one else matters. God speaks in many different forms as we read down through the scriptures. Uh, sometimes God speaks through visions and dreams. We read about that in Abraham's life. We read about that in Joseph's life. Uh, we read about um, how uh, other men dream dreams. They saw visions of God. Uh, and that God had spoken to them in those ways. Uh, in other instances, God spoke to people through audible voices. Uh, I think of Moses and the uh, fiery burning bush. God's voice came out from that uh, fire and how God spoke with Moses on uh, Mount Sinai, how God spoke to Moses out from between the cherubims uh, to Moses in the tabernacle. I think of Elijah uh, going there uh, to Arabia, probably to Mount Sinai, and uh, he heard God in a still, small voice. But then also I read about in Scripture how God spoke to his people uh, through his Holy Spirit. Uh, I, turn with me to, real quick to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We'll see an instance of someone who was spoken to God through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a vision. It was someone listening to the Holy Spirit inside of them and heeding it and doing a job for God. Uh, if you're familiar with Roman, uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, you're familiar that this is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and how Philip, uh, the uh, the, uh, the uh, deacon of the church there in Jerusalem, he was preaching revival, and now uh, he uh, is going to witness to this uh, Ethiopian man. It says in verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Who said? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and told him what to do. Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Has that, have you ever heard the Holy Spirit speak to you before? It's as silent as it can be, yet it's loud. 
It's loud. You can't shake it. You can't get over it. The Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, and you know that's what God wants you to do. Uh, whether it's, hey, see that person at the gas pump over there? Go give him a track. And it's something like that. Maybe it's, hey, um, stop knocking doors and go across the street and talk to that guy uh, who's taking his trash out or whatever it might be. Uh, so God will speak to me, and I hope he speaks to you as well. Um, God will speak to us about personal convictions. I can't find a Bible verse for it, but the God, Holy, God's Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, yeah, you probably shouldn't engage in that. I got a, I thought of an example of that. Got this picture in my Bible, and this is something that God has told me personally through his Holy Spirit that probably I shouldn't engage in. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've seen this in the store before, but when I first saw this, I'm like, man, well, that's a big uh, big pallet full of you know, a beer. You know, It looks like beer cans to me. I don't know what it looks like to you. It's called liquid death. You know what it is? Water. It's water. It's a water product. Uh, you've got, and in fact, you can see that they know what they're trying to convey here. It says, don't be scared. It's just water. What do I have to be scared of? The fact that this is an alcoholic beverage. Now, you can crack one of these open and drink it here in the atrium, uh, but guess what you're going to do? You're going to turn some heads. Well, what are you drinking? Liquid death. Uh, well, I didn't know we did that around here, but you've got mountain water. You've got uh, something chainsaw, scared lime or something. You've got the sparkling water one, berry it all, you know, kind of going along with the liquid death theme there. So it's like a, a berry-flavored one. I don't know. It's probably really good, but you know what? Because of that initial reaction that I had to this at the store, I just passed by it. I didn't really read what it was. I just saw liquid death. Oh, okay. That's not for me. Um, the Holy Spirit, when I find out what it was, I'm like, oh, I can buy that. That's just water. But then Holy Spirit said, no, you probably ought not. Okay. And God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. Uh, God will speak to us through other men. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers... By the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. God speaks to us through other men, through the preaching of God's word. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If somebody's going to have faith, if somebody's going to receive God's message, how is that going to happen? They're going to have to hear it by the word of God, which implies somebody's going to have to preach the Word of God. God will speak by you men as you get up and preach to, uh, to the kids on the bus, understanding that it's an incredible responsibility, understanding who you represent and everything that you say while you're up preaching better be Bible, better be thus saith the Lord, better not be, be opinion, better not be just um, the way you see things, it better be by God's word. And God speaks through other men. And then also God speaks uh, through the incarnate word. God speaks through his incarnate word. Of course, Jesus Christ, it mentioned this in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We just read it. But the incarnate word, Jesus Christ spoke uh, to, the, to the disciples. And also Jesus Christ speaks to us through his written word. We have the words of Christ in red letter in the Gospels there. And we see God's words for us. And my feelings will change. But guess what? God's word does not change. And we see that when God speaks, he not speaks not only speaks through visions and dreams, audible voice, Holy Spirit through other men, but also through the very word of God. And that's how God speaks. And when God speaks, sometimes what we hear through the Holy Spirit, sometimes what we hear through the preaching, sometimes what we read through his word uh, can be illogical at times. Right? I mean, you think about our story. This man of God, we don't even know his name. He's not mentioned by name in this passage. Uh, but 
God told him, go there and don't eat or drink anything. I mean, why? I mean, was the food bad there? Was the water bad? I mean, was there something associated with it that would be wrong? No, it seemed pretty illogical. Just don't eat it or drink anything in this place. Okay, that's it. Um, and don't even go back the same way. Take a different route. I mean, why? What's wrong with the route that I came here? Why do I have to go back a different way? Um, it, sometimes it may seem a little illogical. God just gives commands, and you don't know the why. You just know the what, and you're supposed to obey regardless. Uh, some things that I read in Scripture just defy human reasoning. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Really? And the human reasoning will be like, yeah, I don't know. I'll buy that. But then you test God out, and you, you give. And, whoa, there it, it, came, it just came back. Give back. Give back. Give back. You know, and so you're constantly testing God, and he will not be found a liar. Give, and it shall be given. It's just one of those Bible truths you've got to take by faith, and it just doesn't make sense. I think of um, the idea of loving your enemies. Uh, most of what we read in Matthew chapter 5, Christ's Sermon on the Mount, is a lot of these paradoxes, right? Where these just, they, what, really? I'm supposed to love my enemy? I thought we were supposed to kill him. Like, I read about the Old Testament, they're like whacking and stacking here, you know? And now, you know, Jesus is like, no, love your enemies. I'm like, what? Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, you know, it's, they're like, you know, like, yeah, kill Hamas, you know? And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, maybe we should love him, you know? Um, love him to death, amen? Uh, but <laughs> some of these things, they just don't make sense. Uh, I think of another one. Lose your life and you will find it. What? That's, I'm trying to find my life. But you want me to lose it, and then I'm going to find it? I, that just doesn't make any sense, Jesus. doesn't make sense. Some things that God commands for us to do justify human reasoning, defy human logic. Sometimes when God speaks, it will contradict social norms. It'll go against the grain of the culture. Um, what you wear, you know, gender-specific clothing, ladies. It goes against the fads. It goes, goes against the social norms. Uh, Ladies, you walk into a place, you dress modesty, and guess what you're going to do? You're going to turn heads. You're going to turn heads. And, and I'll be honest with you, you will turn more heads dressing modestly than any woman who dresses immodestly out in public. Those, those girls are a dime a dozen. Yoga pants, a dime a dozen. But a woman who will dress modestly and godly and feminine, that's something special. That's something unique. It'll break social norms. You're going to have to accept that. You're just going to have to accept that I am not of this world. And when I obey God's commands, it's going to break some of these social norms. Uh, avoiding faddish styles. We're talking about dress. Uh, avoiding faddish styles. This applies even to the guys as well. Uh, where, you're not, where you're not following the trends of the world, where you're not following uh, you know, uh, what, what the, world, the, the way the world dresses, the way the world wears things, um, it's going to contradict some social norms. Where you just dress like a... Young man should dress neat in appearance, put together, not flashy, but just ordinary. Uh, what you eat and what you drink. You go to a fancy restaurant, and what do they offer you? They offer you the wine list. And I have to be like, so do I act like, oh, thank you, like, eh, I'm not feeling like any today, or do I take a stand and say, I'm sorry, I, I just don't drink. And man, that goes against the social norm. I remember. When my wife and I uh, were going to get engaged, I had this date planned out, and we were going to go downtown Chicago. We were going to go get a fancy meal, go out for a play. Uh, it was a big deal. It was Christmas time, and um, you know, I had this all planned out. I ordered the ring. I knew what she wanted, but I had to make an alteration. I had to make a customization to it, and I had to 
Uh, she wanted white gold. She wanted white gold, so it came in yellow gold. So I'm like, hey, can we do this in white gold? And they're like, yeah, we can. It'll just take some time. It'll come in. I'm like, all right, that's the date it's coming in. That's the date of our uh, engagement. And the date of our engagement came, and I had no ring. I mean, how do you get engaged without a ring, right? I mean, I had arranged everything at the restaurant. I told them, oh, yeah, we're going to get engaged and everything like this. And uh, apparently, they took note of it. So for me, I'm thinking, oh, great. I can't get engaged tonight. I'll have to come up with an alternate plan or something. And I knew she was going to be so disappointed. You know, ladies, you know. You know. I mean, us guys are trying to surprise you. But obviously, we're not, we're not uh, subtle creatures at all. Uh, and so you fig she figured it out. Oh, this is the weekend. You know, I'm coming. She was living in Iowa at the time. She came back over. She had already graduated. I was in my senior year. And man, she's coming back for this big date. Man, this is what it is. It's happening. It's happening. I'm like, oh, no, it's not happening. And well, we, we arrive at the restaurant. My parents are there chaperoning. And you know, we get our own private table. And like I had you know, previously arranged, and I forgot that I told them that we were supposed to get engaged. And they come over with two glasses of champagne. Congratulations on your engagement. And I'm like, number one, I don't drink. Number two, we're engaged. You know, so I had to try to diffuse that situation. Needless to say, it was a long, quiet ride home, especially at dinner when one of our friends, like, we're engaged, like three blocks over at downtown Chicago. I'm like, oh, it couldn't get any worse. Moral of the story is, the ring came in like the next day, of course, and we got engaged that day as well, you know, and so we made it happen. We're married, happily, I think. But what you eat and what you drink is going to violate social norms. I'm sorry. I don't drink champagne. Yeah, we're not all right. Um, the activities in which you participate. Um, it's just assumed that my kids got a bag full of Halloween candy. Oh, did you dress up for Halloween? What did you dress up as for Halloween? And we're like, me, you know? Uh, it's just, some, you know, the summer comes by and, hey, come on over. We're having a birthday party. And I know the neighbors have a pool. Uh, probably not. All right. We just got to break social norms. I would love, I would love to participate in this birthday party, but it's just not a situation in which I should be involved. Uh, how you act in public. Um, it's always fun to watch um, worldly people come to an independent fundamental Baptist wedding. And they come to the reception, and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's get my groove on, you know, and uh, no, there's no dancing happening here. It's a social norm. It's expected. And living as a Christian, living by God's commands, I'm going to break some of those social norms, the language we use. And not only may it be illogical, may it, not only may it contradict social norms, but it also could break religious exercise. It could even go against the grain of the religious. I think of Jesus Christ as he and his disciples walked through a field of corn. And what were they doing? It was the Sabbath, and they were picking up the ears of corn and eating as they went. And, of course, the religious, you broke the Sabbath. Well, the Bible says don't do any work on the Sabbath is picking this off of something and eating it work? I mean, you would probably have to eat on the Sabbath at your home, too. So I imagine you'd have to pick something else up to eat it, too, on the Sabbath. But they had made man-made tradition that, man, you can't walk this far on the Sabbath. Well, who defined, who defined how far you could walk on the Sabbath? Did, does it say in God's word? No. Uh, it's this man-made tradition. Oh, you can't, you can't pick up these ears of corn and eat it, but you can sit in your house and eat. Okay, whatever. Uh, Jesus Christ broke with these religious exercises. Oh, you're, Jesus, your disciples are eating with unwashed hands. Number one, I agree. That's gross. Number two, uh, but number two, where? Where? You know, um, this is a man-made tradition. Obviously, there are laws, biblical laws of um, cleanliness and things like that, but I'm not seeing where this happened. Sometimes when you follow God, 
you're going to break some religious exercise along the way as well. But in our passage, we see not only how God speaks, we not only see when God speaks, uh, what happens, but speaking the word of God to the enemy, speaking the word of the Lord to the enemy, understand that it's going to offend false religion. It's going to offend false religion. You go out and you're going to witness to somebody at their door and they are of whatever religious background, guess what you're going to do? You're going to step on some toes. You're going to counteract uh, their belief system. That's the whole purpose of confrontational soul winning. Confrontational doesn't mean mean-spirited, but confrontational means their beliefs are not mine, and I'm going to expose them to the truth of God's word, which will counteract their beliefs. In fact, I purposely set them up so that they speak their beliefs errantly. They speak their errant beliefs so that I can then, boom, you know, put a truth bomb right on their belief system. Uh, the other day I was soul winning, and this man, I'm like, so um, you, you go to church, and you know, do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Oh, yeah, I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. You know, I go to church. You know, it's like my insurance policy. And I'm like, your insurance policy? He's an older man. I told him, you know, you're probably on Medicare, right? He's like, oh, yeah. Do you have some kind of a supplemental health insurance? He's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, why do you have supplemental health insurance? Because Medicare is not good enough. So you have an insurance plan because the other one isn't good enough. So you go to church because Jesus Christ isn't good enough. It blew his mind, all right? Uh, he ended that conversation real quick. But that's the point of speaking the truth. That's the point of God's word. It will offend false religion. And the offended will seek to hinder you in any, any, through any ways. But you can see in verse number four, the first tactic that Jeroboam used was through violence. He wanted to, uh, uh, he tried to use his wit. He was wittingly trying to hinder the word of God through violence. Uh, but also uh, Satan will hinder God's word through questioning God's word, through contradicting, through replacing God's word. We can see that happening in the situation with uh, Eve and Satan. The enemy uh, will try to uh, go against God's word and will be upfront about it. But then we can see in verses 7 through 10 when that didn't work and God was powerful over that, verses 7 through 10, what did the next thing happen? Well, if he couldn't uh, get him through violence and get him through a direct attack, he was going to get him through reward. Hey, come on over. Come on over. I'll, I'll give you something. All right? Tried to get, he tried to get this prophet in his pocket. He tried to give him a gift and try to hook him with a, a reward. Uh, and so Proverbs 27, 6 says, This faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. This is exactly what's happening in the situation. And the man of God rightfully bowed up against and said, Nope, you are the enemy. You tried to get me through a direct attack. You're trying to get me through reward. It's not going to work. I'm out of here. And that's what happened. But take a look at verse number 18, though. Not only do we speak the word of the Lord to the enemy, and it offends them, but sometimes we're in friendly territory. And we have to speak the word of the Lord. Speaking the word of the Lord to friends, to those who are on the same quote-unquote team, if you will, those who are Baptists. I, I'm Baptist. I'm glad you're Baptist. I'm independent Baptist. Well, I'm glad you're independent Baptist. I'm an independent fundamental. Baptist. Blowing the bottle since fan. Whatever, whatever label you want to put on the Baptist title. Oh, yeah, I'm one of you too. What happens here? In verse number 18, the old prophet said, and he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. I'm a Baptist. I'm an independent Baptist. I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. Uh, I, I go to church three times a week. I run a bus route, whatever it might be. But understand that just because somebody says they're like you doesn't mean they are like you. All right? Not everyone here is one of you. 
I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but 15 years involvement at Providence Baptist College has borne this out that not every student enrolled in Providence Baptist College is an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist. It, people who have left here, graduates who have left here, have proven that out. It's just not the case. Not everybody here is who they think they are. They think that they are, and you may think so too. But you can judge people by the word of God. And so here what we see in verse number 18, not only did he claim uh, to be the same thing as him, uh, he's also made a false claim of revelation. And an angel spake unto me by the, by the word of the Lord. Oh, there it is again, that same phrase. Man, the word of the Lord against the word of the Lord. And he was appealing to this divine revelation. And this divine revelation that this man had de defied and went against the revelation that this younger man already had from God. He trusted it enough to deliver it to King Jeroboam, risk his life doing so, mind you. And he stayed by the word of the Lord, saw God do a miracle in causing Jeroboam's hand to be diseased immediately and then immediately healing it again. And then I had enough bone and gumption to say no to the king. And now... We see this man who claims to be a prophet just like he was, and he's claiming some divine revelation. He's basically saying in modern-day terms, I prayed about it. I prayed about it. Man, I prayed about it. And he tried to appeal to him. He tried to appeal to him. How did he try to appeal him to him? Well, this is through the same way, through some kind of reward, through some fleshly desire and fleshly craving. I imagine this prophet was tired. I imagine this prophet was hungry. I imagine this prophet was thirsty. This summer I discovered uh, the importance of um, while you're exerting yourself physically, how important it is to have a snack, have water handy. Uh, we were hiking in Colorado. We we're up above 10,000 feet, hiking some trails and some national forests and national parks. And it was a whole lot of fun, beautiful. But the thing that you've got to always constantly do is hydrate. It, you'll get altitude sickness. And, you know, the solution to altitude sickness, weirdly enough, is just water. Drink more water and you'll feel better. Always stay hydrated, and I guess once you have altitude sickness, I guess there's no fixing it, but to prevent it, you have to be constantly hydrated. No doubt this man was thirsty. Long journey from Judah all the way up to here to Bethel. Uh, no doubt he was hungry. No doubt he had a desire, a craving for uh, these natural fleshly desires. But this uh, old prophet appealed to the flesh and not to the spirit. He was bringing him down and not up. Uh, somebody might be a... A, a Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist, they might get discouraged in the ministry and they say, man, why go soul winning? You can do that anytime. Go soul winning as you go. But there is something about an organized, dedicated time to go soul winning. Man, maybe it's in the area of fleshly music. Well, this is, God, this is good godly music. Listen to the lyrics. I'm sorry. Is it fleshly music or is it spiritual music? Is it going to bring you up? Carnal cravings, whether it's covetousness uh, in the ministry, man, you can get bigger crowds by doing this. Oh, you can get bigger offerings by doing this. Hey, you can get more visitors in church, and I'm all for that. I want more visitors in church. It would be a great thing if our church had an overabundance of offering, just like in the Old Testament when Moses had to tell the people to stop giving, right? Oh, this is too much. Stop giving. It would be a great problem to have. It would be great to have an overflowing crowd. But, man, that stuff surely does appeal to the flesh. It, might be, it could be a spiritual desire, but it sure appeals to the flesh. And some other folks may try to appeal to that flesh to bring you in. They're on your team. They're, they're religious folks. They're Baptist folks, independent, fundamental Baptist folks, whatever it might be. But the thing that I find is this. I find that hanging around the lost people can be easier than hanging around the backslidden. 
Hanging around the lost is sometimes easier than hanging around the backslidden because the lost respects my beliefs. Working at a, a place uh, through college, very hostile work environment to Christians. Uh, but at the end of four years, guess what those people did for my beliefs? They respected them. Did they agree with them? No. Did they question them? Did they challenge them? Certainly. And it only increased my faith and only increased my ability to express my beliefs through the word of God. But man, the lost will respect those beliefs. The backslidden will try to justify themselves by dragging you down. Man, they're down here. How are they supposed to be justified? How are they going to feel good about themselves? Drag you down. Man, those are the people you got to watch out for. The lost will be more likely to humble themselves to your standard. While the backslidden are the self-righteous ones in their standards or the lack thereof. I can find myself saying in these situations, these people are Christians and look how they live. If it's good enough for them, it should be good enough for me. But I'm sorry, I'm not going for good enough. I'm going for the word of the Lord. That's what I'm going for. We are not out for good enough. Just some observations from this passage of scripture. Firstly, yesterday's obedience means nothing today. Yesterday's obedience means nothing today. Here, this man of God, he passed the one test. Jeroboam, hey, come on back, eat and drink, I'll give you a reward. And then the old prophet said the exact same thing. He passed one, but then he didn't pass the other, and he all paid the ultimate price for him. Uh, it reminds me of the passage in Matthew 21, where Jesus is telling the parable of the two sons, and this, the, the father tells the two sons, gives them the same commandment, and the one says, yes, sir, I go. I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. And the one says, eh, I don't feel like it. But then the one who said he was going to go didn't. And the one said, eh, I, didn't feel, I don't feel like it. Said, well, you know what? I probably should obey. And he went and obeyed. Which one actually did the will of his master, of his father? It was the second one. It was the one who said, nah, I don't feel like it, but went anyway. And so often uh, we're satisfied with saying, yes, sir, without ever actually doing anything. With being obedient in word, but not in deed. Um, it's this idea of, you got saved. I'm glad you got saved. You're born again. That's the past. But do you live as if you are saved? Man, that's good yesterday, but what about today? Hey, you're here in Bible college. Man, I, I decided I'm going to go to Bible college. But are you existing in Bible college, or are you actually doing Bible college? And there's a, there's a vast difference between existing here and doing uh, the idea of Bible college. Guy, you Man, you surrendered to preach in the past. Yeah, I remember the day I surrendered to preach. Well, good. I'm glad that happened in your past. But today, are you a preacher? No, you're not. I'm studying to become a preacher. No, 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 no. You're studying because you are a preacher. It's going to change everything. Victory over sin? Yeah, I got victory. Well, how about today? How about today? Man, obey, yesterday's obedience is stale. It's old. We need fresh obedience. It means nothing today unless we actually obey God today. Here's another one. God, sometimes God will bring us through a hard way to prove our obedience. Sometimes God will bring us through a hard way to prove our obedience. He told, him, he told the young man of God, don't go back the way you came, apparently. And he was going to obey that. And he did obey that for the most part. And that reminds me of in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 2. It says this, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. You know, it's not that far of a journey from Egypt to Israel, right? They could have probably made it in a couple weeks. But 40 years? 40 years? Why did God do this? I will tell you why. It says this, To humble thee and to prove thee 
to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Sometimes God's going to put you through a hard way. God's going to put you through a situation that other people don't have to go. You can say, that's the shortcut, God. That's the quickest way there. And God said, no, you're going to go this way. You're going to take the long way around. Uh, difficulty can tempt us to disobey God's command. It can cause us to fall out of the way, whether it be family issues back home, uh, issues with brother, with sister, with mom or dad, or something within the church back home, a difficult way. God isn't requiring that person to go that way, but God is requiring you to go that way. It's God's will. This is the way he wants you to go. Are you going to fall out or are you going to stick it out? I'm behind on my school bill. It's not fair. Look at that guy over there. He's like a millionaire over there. You know, look at him with this car he's driving. Yeah, who am I talking about? Everybody's looking over here. Uh, no, this guy over here. Um, and so uh, whoever it might be, uh, you might be envious. Man, I, I'm behind on my school bill. I'm struggling. I'm trying to get caught up. God's got a different path for you than he's got everybody else on. Whether it's relationships or friendships, you're going through difficult times there. And, man, I'm going through a tough time. God's putting you through a hard way to prove you, to know what's in your heart. Maybe it's ministry drought. Man, I haven't seen anybody led to the Lord. I haven't seen anybody saved in a long time. I haven't had misery in a long time. Will you still obey God? Will you still do the work of the ministry? Will you still planting seed? Regardless of what kind of outcome you have, man, difficulty can tempt us to disobey God's command. Next, sometimes God will require sacrifice of us that he requires of no one else. Sometimes God will require sacrifice of us that he requires of no one else. Here in this passage, we see that this man couldn't eat, couldn't drink. This is unique to him. It was a sacrifice he had to make. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, right? God commands Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac. And God uh, gave him something that he didn't give anybody else. Maybe it's a call to full-time service. It's unique to you. Maybe it's a call to missions. It's unique to you. Maybe uh, something unique to you could be giving. How much does God want you to give to missions? How much does God want you to give to a, vision, uh, to a building program? How much does God want you to give in alms to others? Uh, bus ministry. Maybe you got a needy bus kid, needy bus family. And other people on other routes, they don't have needy bus kids, but you do. And now God has laid it on you to meet their needs. God has laid it on you to buy a pair of socks, do whatever you can to, to care for the needs of the ones that God has given to you. It's unique to you. You have to sacrifice. You have to go without something so you can fulfill a need uh, compared to those back home. Man, I'm giving up something to come to Bible college. I'm giving up something. You're comparing yourself to those back home. Man, it's not fair. I'm sorry. Sometimes God requires sacrifice of others, of us, that he doesn't of others. Sometimes God will offer choices to you. Sometimes God makes it a multiple choice question. Uh, I think of 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 5. Um, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Whoa, that's like a fill-in-the-blank question. Solomon, anything you want. And God revealed to him later, like, hey, I would have given you wealth. I would have given you this. I would give you that. I would have given you more power, more influence. I've given you longer life. But you asked for wisdom. You asked for wisdom. You asked for understanding instead. And because of that, I'm going to give you all the things you didn't even ask for as well. Sometimes God will offer us choices. And we have those choices. We have free will. God has given us his word. He's given us direction. But sometimes God makes it a multiple choice question. Hey, you know, this is something. This is an option for you. This is an option for you. This is an option for you. And we have to make that choice, whether it's wealth versus eternal influence, whether it's pleasure 
versus wisdom. Whether it's a summer of ease or a summer of ministry. Whether it's going the extra mile or doing what is required of you. And sometimes God will propose hard tasks just to see our faith. Sometimes God will propose hard tasks just to see our faith. In John chapter 6 and verse 5, we read the story of the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? I doubt Jesus Christ said it in that way. Because it says in the next verse, the next phrase, And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus Christ wasn't at a loss. He was like, oh no, Philip! Oh, what an oversight on my part! What are we going to do? Hurry, run into town, buy something. That's not what Jesus Christ was asking about. Man, what are we going to do, Philip? And sometimes God comes knocking on you, your door, and he says, hey, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And God's going to put hard tasks in our lives just to see what we're going to do with it. God asks us a question, not for us to supply an answer, but he asks to reveal our faith in his word. You have to know that God knows the answers to your problem, and it's up to us to rely on him to fill his word in our lives. As What has God revealed through his word to you? What has God revealed through his Holy Spirit to you? Understand there are enemies out there trying, and te trying to tempt you to violate God's word for you. You read it. Are you going to live it? There's the enemies outside. But what seeming friends are tempting you to violate God's word as well? There's enemies within as well as without. They're just, they may deceive. They may claim to have revelation as well. Are you willing to stand by what God has given you to do? What situations, what sacrifice, what choices, what hard tasks are testing your devotion to God's word in your life? You guys are graduated beyond the point where it's just obey my parents and pastors. Now, not that that's, you're beyond that. But in addition to that, now you're answerable to God Almighty himself. He's impressing on your heart. And God can call the young. He calls children into ministry. You hear preachers talk about, oh, I remember God called me to preach, you know, when I was, you know, eight years old, whatever it might be. Man, that's a decision that young man had to make, that young boy had to make. And no one could make it for him. No one said, yes, that's right for your life. Or no one could say, no, that's not right for your life. It was between him and God. And so many things in your life right now are simply between you and the Father. Between you and the word of the Lord. When the Lord, word of the Lord comes to you, don't compromise it. Don't deny it. Lift it up. Hold it close. Don't let enemies out or within separate you from what God has called you to do in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the day you've given to us. Thank you so much for the story in the book of Kings about this prophet. We don't know his name, but we know he was dedicated to you. He risked his life to fulfill your word in his life, yet he met an unfortunate end. I pray, Lord, that that would not be repeated again in this room. I pray, Lord, that those that you've called out would continue to live by the word of the Lord in their lives. I pray that uh, those who have made themselves consecrated to your service would continue to do so and they would not doubt it uh, but they would continue forward by faith in your word we ask all these things in jesus name amen let's all stand to your feet and grasp your bible thank you for joining today's maverick message thank you for listening god bless